Hey everybody, Kelly and I are super excited to announce our very first live podcast event. If you are in the suburban Philadelphia area, we'd love to have you join us on Monday, April 29th at A. Weber in Chalfont, PA. You can head to our website, doinggoodbusiness.com. It'll click you straight through to the Eventbrite link where you can get your tickets to this free event. We are bringing together four area leaders in the Bucksmont area. Hope Bear, the Chief People Officer of A. Weber, Diana Asbury, the Marketing Director of WorkZone, Kevin Nolan, President of Nolan Painting, and Jim Bishop, President and CEO of the Cornerstone Clubs. We are talking about how to put a culture mindset to work in your business. This event is jam-packed with leaders that have a real focus on culture in their organizations. It improves retention, and it doesn't have to cost a fortune. Kelly and I are going to be moderating the discussion. We're going to have light refreshments featured by A. Weber, and we can't wait to see you there. Join us on Monday, April 29th, and again, doinggoodbusiness.com for tickets to the free event. We'll see you there. Hey there, welcome to the Doing Good Business Podcast, hosted by Kelly Stewart, business strategist, helping companies to do good in all aspects of their business, and me, Laura Heacock, a leadership coach, helping professionals bring kindness into business. Doing Good Business is a podcast for leaders who want to bring their whole selves to work and create companies that make a real difference in the world. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Doing Good Business. I'm Laura, here as always with Kelly Stewart. And we're so excited to bring to you today our guest, Steve Van Valen. He is in this other Philadelphia area, awesome person that Kelly and I had the opportunity to meet in in person a few weeks back and now have a guest as a guest on the podcast. Steve is a corporate culture consultant and thought leader. And uh, all of our listeners know that we are super passionate about corporate culture. So we're thrilled to have Steve with us. Steve, thank you for joining us and tell our listeners just a little bit about yourself and the work you're doing in the world. Yeah, first off, thank you, Laura and Kelly, for, for having me. So uh, what a pleasure. So so thank you so much uh, for the opportunity. Yeah, I, I lead a company called Culturology. And so essentially, I work with business leaders who um, really have optimism and a belief about their people being their most uh, competitive advantage. And and so if they believe that, then they're going to do some amazing things around uh, leading a culture that kind of unpacks that for them. So I tend to work with people who have that that mindset and want to take it to the next next level, and have been doing it for a, a number of years. And um, so, and prior to uh, starting Culturology, I, I led the culture at QVC for a number of years, a big company here in the Philadelphia area. So that's uh, yeah, that's it's, it's so funny to. I'm betting that a lot of people don't realize that QVC actually started in a small suburban town and. Philadelphia area, and now they have, you know, effectively taken over the home shopping world, right? <laughs> yeah, they 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 are the leader, and it's interesting. I mean, back in the late '80s, they were a fast follower, and were one of the last of the shopping networks to get in the game. And interestingly <laughs> enough, last year they they bought the uh, the generic name in the industry, Home Shopping Network, and now really dominate the entire space, not just here in the United States, but even globally. Amazing success story. It is amazing. And also, too, you don't necessarily think of them being a company with culture, right? You think of them as you see them on TV. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And not necessarily that there's a whole organization, especially, you know, as a consumer or somebody who's watching and buying, right? You're not necessarily thinking there's a whole bunch of people that make all of that happen. Well, it's interesting that you'd say that because the the brand persona, what those show hosts represented on the air, was really a 
in a sense, a, a marker for us as to how we wanted to operate internally. You know, it's about being transparent and authentic and being honest, but happy and innovative and idea driven. And I think that brand that we reflected on the air uh, was certainly became highly successful and people just love QVC, you know, incredibly mm-hmm. loyal, but it's built over into the internal um, culture where we knew we had to operate that way internally in order to reflect it externally. So that was, that was actually part of our purposeful strategy <laughs> to be able to reflect that brand better, uh, do it on the inside. And then, so we can reflect on the outside. Well, it sounds like, you know, certainly you've done that with a lot of success and I'm thrilled to hear that, you know, uh, you hit on a lot of the words that excite me and Mara, which is, you know, authenticity, transparency, all of those good things. So let I'll flip it. I don't generally flip it this way. <laughs> I don't generally go in this direction from good to bad. I generally go from bad to good, but, um, in the work that you've done with culturology and your thought leadership, what are some of the warning signs of a culture that maybe needs improvement? It's not in good shape. Are, are there any, um, or are there ones that are maybe, maybe there's some obvious ones and some less obvious ones that people should be aware of if, you know, for our yeah. listeners, if they're working in an organization where they think, am I where I need to be? Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think the thing that, most people are feeling the most directly, you know, in other words, the, the red light on the dashboard is blinking, uh, warning, warning is they're having trouble attracting great talent to their organization. And then maybe they have a leaky bucket. In other words, they, they're losing people out the, out the other side and having struggling with retention. So, you know, especially in this job market where it's a, uh, uh, you know, where there's plenty of, of jobs allegedly from <laughs> in most categories right. and right. um and and people companies are struggling to attract especially millennial talent if they haven't taken the extra steps to build a culture that uh that's healthy and positive and really forward looking mm-hmm. and then i would say there i mean there's really two other key ones which is are people engaged which certainly leads to whether or not they're going to stay um, are they engaged in performing? So if people are measuring that, and most people do, um, with a survey or some sort of pulse mechanism where they can determine whether people are engaged, are they performing? If they're not performing, it's most likely a culture issue um, or culture has a huge ramifications to it. And then I'd say the third thing uh, that would be a warning sign would be, what what is the customer saying about the experience that they're having with you? and now we can look at the reviews and you know things online and we get an almost instant feedback whether or not customers are happy with the experience they're having if if they're not happy or you're seeing a trend or losing out to the competition it's your brand and who drives your brand it's your culture it's your people so i would say those those elements are really all warning signs um and and something that you can act upon to uh to improve Thank you, Steve, because that's where I was going to say, now we're back in my comfortable territory again because they're opportunities, right? <laughs> these are opportunities yeah. when you see these things. They're not cause to throw in the towel, they're, but there are reasons to improve upon them or make some changes that would bring improvement around. Thank you. Thanks, Steve. <laughs> yeah, so Steve, absolutely. 
We had talked a little bit um, previously about the tools that you use when you go into a company. And I know you and I have this in common. I love the Myers-Briggs type indicator. I'm a big fan of it. I know you're certified in uh, the MBTI. So we've talked about purpose being so important to employees. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, just at a high level, what is, um, how are some of the personality types alike and different when it comes to purpose? You know, purpose leads to, you know, a lot of the things that you had just shared, you know, a good purpose and engaged team is going to have high performers, it's going to have lower turnover. So how do some of the different types of personalities actually differ and um, have similarities when it comes to their desire for purpose? In terms of what they have in common is Myers-Briggs really represents us at the top of our game. So whatever our type code is, that really should represent you or me, you know, when we're at our best, it's really a survey or a, an indicator that that talks about our strengths. So, in fact, each uh, type code has a, a hallmark associated with it, which is a really good code for whether or not or and how you're uh, approaching the purpose in your life. So, for example, for me, I'm an INFP, and the hallmark is actually perfect for me. It's about idealism. So I know that I'm getting purpose and getting great meaning in the work I do when I'm seeking out, you know, ideas, new ways of doing things, trying to turn the light bulb on for other people in, in terms of meaning and purpose in their life. And um, somebody else who may be an ESTJ is all about decisiveness. So they're, they're when they're acting on decisions, they feel like that is their purpose, that they're, mm. they're getting that indicator that that's... Um, you know, right in the sweet spot of who they are, of them being at the top of their game. And and so therefore, the, the work that they're doing feels more meaningful when they're acting within the strength of their of their type code. So I think there's actually, you know, that common thread, which Myers-Briggs does a wonderful job of identifying the uniqueness of how we, how we maybe see our purpose through the, this filter. And then when we're acting upon it, and moving toward it, making progress toward our, our purpose, that's when we get that sense of fulfillment or sense of meaning, uh, which you know activates all kinds of great things, that feeling of engagement or willing to do dis, uh, levels of discretionary effort on a particular project because I feel like I'm at the top of my game doing it. That's what we naturally mm. gravitate to do. So long answer, How, but I hope that... <laughs> no, it, it's a great... It's a great answer. How do you companies then approach that or so I'll ask it in a couple of different ways. Do you find in your experience that companies tend to attract a lot of the same types? Like if I also love Myers-Briggs, so we're, we're just loving this mm -hmm. conversation. Um, but, you know, do you find that some tend to attract a lot of INTJs or, you know, whatever, ENFJs? Um, and, they kind of roll up, my understanding is they roll up into certain categories of types of people. Do you find that companies have a balance or don't have a balance? And then follow up to question when they don't have a balance, is it harder then for the business leaders to kind of accommodate or create environments, not accommodate, but create environments where these different types of people can really flourish? Yeah, I think most companies do not have a great balance. They probably <laughs> over over time hired people that can finish their sentences. Yeah, and it's right. just natural that any of us would want we'd be just 
having a lovely time in the interview with somebody who's our own type code. We're seeing the world mm-hmm. through the same filter. And we probably also feel, well, hey, I'm successful, and here's my approach to work as defined by my type code. This person right. can be successful too. And so over time, you see the population within your department, and it happens one higher at a time, uh, mm-hmm. become sort of stereotyped in, uh, in, in, within a realm of a couple of different type codes. So, yeah, I think a lot of people are out of balance. They don't have that diversity of thinking and thought that maybe could come from from having, you know, the broad range. But to answer the other part of the question is, you know, what do you do about it is you really have to put almost a, I'd say, a value or a fundamental in place for your organization about being curious and open and trying mm. and trying to understand the other new approach as opposed to saying my way is the only way and the right way. And we're gonna lock these other turkeys out who don't aren't thinking in the same realm. There's there's wonderful, you know, opportunity to add to the, almost making the, the second right idea come out when you tap into the, the diversity of thinking. It's not there to slow mm-hmm. things down. It's just how do we make the best decision overall? And so the companies that are doing a really good job of this are teaching leaders to sort of the, that emotional intelligence response out of empathy and curiosity to say, what do you think? And, mm-hmm. you know, I had a great boss at, at QVC who I, I was an INFP. I was the only one and, and not even close to some of the other type codes in terms of their, <laughs> of their strengths and in my department. And she would say, Steve, what do you think? And right. at the end of all this discussion, and I'm an I, so I probably was the last person to typically talk, but she had that empathy and emotional intelligence to pull it out of me and made me feel so valued and and gave me meaning uh, of inclusion there with that group. So I think those are the types of things that leaders, um, whether you're a supervisor or high-level leader, can do to, to pull in the diversity of thinking. You just have to be curious and ask. Be curious. Love that. So I, Kelly and I talk all the time about, you know, simple steps and we like to give um, everybody just, you know, a simple step towards doing good business. And I think that you just encompass that so beautifully in that story. You know, you can't get much simpler than if you're a leader, really asking the people on your team, you know, drawing out the people who are quieter, maybe their eyes and saying to them, hey, what is it that you think? And maybe letting the ease kind of take a back seat a little bit because they are more apt to speak up in meetings. They are more apt to have their opinions heard. But when we talk about things like, you know, diversity of thinking and in January, Kelly and I did a, an episode on the, the subject of inclusion. You know, I think that you have to think about it in every aspect of your business and your culture and to engage people who are maybe a little bit on the quieter side by just simply saying, hey, what is it that you think is such a powerful yet simple step to implement in, you know, in a meeting to improve the culture and to really maximize that diversity of thinking that hopefully is present on, on your team? Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. We really need to invite people sometimes to participate and mm-hmm. that gives them permission. And it doesn't just have to be an I. It could be that person who isn't ready to make a decision. Maybe they're more of the P for perceiving. And mm-hmm. the J's have already made a decision. They're heading down the track, right? 
say, no, I'm, hey, I'm a maybe, total J. I am, I am off and running. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so maybe that's when you, and again, this is about the leader having the presence of mind and empathy to say, wait a minute here. What I haven't heard from uh, from Kelly on this one. Like, what do, what do you think, right. Kelly? Uh, have we made the decision too fast? Right. What where, Kelly, Kelly what are almost... you still what are you still thinking about? And <laughs> and then amazing things you can just go right back, pull everybody in, and get right. calibrated on the do, different kind of thinking that's more valuable. As a J, also Kelly would almost never say we're moving too fast. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Kelly. Say, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I would say in my, my professional experience, and I know we talk a lot about these conversations in the context of business leader, right, and then, you know, managing a team, but I had a, a peer-to-peer relationship uh, where I was not managing this person, you know, and she was not managing me, but where my glass was, you know, in, half full in terms of I see opportunity and potential everywhere, her glass was just about empty. And um, it took me a while to realize that although we weren't having that kind of formal conversation where she was saying to me, what do you think? And and we were both very expressive. And I wasn't saying, well, what do you think? Because we kind of already knew what each other was thinking. And this was in a mm-hmm. larger group, but these were just two personalities. But it took me a while to realize I could just counsel myself to say, open your mind mm-hmm. when you're listening to her because you are the the big big idea person you're the person who I see it and we're going to go after it and listen to what she's saying because when I really did listen with an open mind I heard things that were very helpful to me in terms of the strategic plan that we would be putting in place that they mm-hmm. were things that would not necessarily come first on my radar and so I started yeah. to value her then as someone who could very quickly get me to places where I didn't necessarily want to go first. Hmm. And um, then once I realized that, I, at least on, on my end, it just became a more productive type of a relationship. Yeah. It takes patience, though, doesn't it? Because <laughs> yeah, it sure we, does. We, uh, you know, when you ask people, how many of you are busier now in life and at work? You know, that combination of the entire hairball that we live through. It, mm-hmm. Everyone says they're the busiest right now than they've ever been in their entire life. And so what are the chances of the way you just described that for us to have that mm-hmm. presence of mind? That Actually, the odds go down because we just want to move on. And right. uh, it really takes a lot of discipline and patience to do that. So the other concept that you kind of reminded me of that I think really powerful in this realm is the idea of assuming innocence of people. And I love that. I always talk to people about how can we move, in, move into a space of assuming positive intent. Like if we looked mm-hmm. at this through the lens yeah. of what is the most positive thing that that person may have intended with that comment, that feedback, that mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. How can we get to a space where we're all assuming positive intent about each other? Yeah. And I think if the listeners really think about their their best relationships that they've ever had, whether it's with a peer or a boss, I bet you they, they've they had that dynamic happen where they realize they can look that other person in the eye and realize they do have my, my you know positive intent thinking toward me. They're my advocate. In other words, I, I have some equity built in this relationship and, you know, call it trust and respect and all those wonderful things. But man... What a difference that makes in just the synergy uh, of what you can do together, the way you make decisions and move through 
you know, the transactional cost of doing business together. It's just, mm-hmm. it's a wonderful thing. And, and so, you know, it happens one relationship at a time when you, but when you can look, step back as a bigger level leader and say, what if I could scale this? What if I mm-hmm. could, rather than just having Kelly and Laura have a great relationship, what if I could scale that, you know, to 20 or 30 or a hundred people in my organization? What would that look like? And that's when right. it becomes a true competitive advantage. Love it. So we talked a little earlier about, you know, you shared some great warning signs of a culture that may be in trouble. Um, and I think this conversation has probably illuminated some ways that they can help. But what have you seen if you had to say, you know, I exemplify, this company exemplifies a strong culture. What are those components that you look for when you're evaluating the culture to say, like, this is a really strong culture? Everything should translate into performance, too, when you're talking about culture. Culture, mm-hmm. just for culture's sake, is seems yeah. like a nice thing. You know, it's not about, it's not a be nice program, although mm-hmm. people are nicer to each other, which is important to me. <laughs> but it's it's really, I look at it um, as there's three components on the inside and then three outwardly facing components of a of a strong culture. So I look at the three pillars internally as accountability, respect, mm-hmm. and collaboration. So accountability is all about that ownership mindset. People seeing their job as an owner and, and taking the extra discretionary left effort to solve problems rather than point fingers and blame. Mm-hmm. And respect is just sort of sacrosanct to the relationships that we need to have that just all those things that we just described previously that assuming innocence, et cetera. And then collaboration is that dynamic of how we're driving ideas and solving problems together as a team. So I think some people take that for granted that people know how to collaborate and ideate. And uh, we spend purposeful time in the cultures I work with and at QVC, we did this in, in a big way. How do you actually solve problems together? So those are sort of the three internal components. And then on the outside, it's about being brand focused, you Mm. know, because the culture is delivering the brand experience. And then secondly, do you really understand your customer? Are you customer savvy? Having everyone at every level, the person cleaning the, you know, the office at at night on your team should Mm -hmm. understand the customer and, that when you can give that to them, they feel so respected and they'll come up with ideas and new ways of doing things, which just are, are earth shattering in some cases. Amazing. And then the third is, you know, are you purpose driven? So mm. do, oh, we love do you understand Yeah, how your work makes a difference? And, um, you know, are you aligned to your own personal purpose, not just the purpose of the company? So the, those would be, there's actually six things that I look at internally and externally. That's great. And it also um, is a great segue because I know you've done a lot of writing um, for your book, Amplify, and mm-hmm. that's the, the power of meaning at work. And Laura and I really just love this whole concept and the, all that you bring into that conversation because there's so much about it. So maybe you can talk a little bit about, and and I think those things are things that traditionally or historically business leaders don't consider, such as community and spirituality. So why don't you give us just like a, a quick overview, if you can, of what those components are as they relate to the conversation that we're having today and 
and bringing this whole sense of meaning at work, knowing that we're all very different, complex individuals <laughs> with our own <laughs> yeah. motivations and our own ways of doing, you know, our own ways that I call it of being and doing, right? We, we all take different approaches to that. We have different perspectives. We have different socioeconomic backgrounds, thinking styles, the whole nine yards. So I'll turn it to you. Why is it necessary to look at all of those components that you've brought into it? Keeping in mind that, you know, for culture's sake is not the end game, right? It's culture for performance. Yeah. And, and purpose is a huge driver for people in, in so many different ways. And, and yet when you work with people and, and leaders, people at all levels, they struggle with, well, how do I really, how do I do this without sounding corny or how do I, can I really give people meaning at work? And, you know, is there a way to really do that? And what they typically have done is they've just really looked at how a person's work connects to the success of the company. They've looked at that one dimensional, like here, and boy, sharing that with people is really a good thing. I'm not disparaging that at all, but they get stuck on that. Like, uh, here's how your work leads to the company or maybe better, you know, as, as well as how your work impacts the customer. Great. Both of those are what I call amplifiers of a purpose, which lead to meaning. And I stepped back when I was working with leaders and saying, is that, are those the only two places that you can go? How else does a per person operate at work to get purpose and so that they get the, the emotional response of meaning? And what I discovered was that there's actually 11 different amplifiers, and this opens up a all kinds of creative possibilities for, for managers and peers on helping people, you know, see the meaning for themselves. It actually starts with the sort of a basic level of self-satisfaction as a key amplifier. Do I like the challenge of the work that I'm engaged in? And do I feel respected? If those things in and of themselves are, are a purpose for people, we, we want to feel respected and we want to feel challenged and get things done. And yet that's one that we often sort of just push off to the side. So self-satisfaction is one of the amplifiers, as well as moving sort of in a bigger uh, perspective, how your work impacts your own family. When you ask people, mm -hmm. like, why do you work so hard here? Why are you really, you know, doing this? They often, they'll reflect back, it's, it's so I can spend time with my family. It's so I can put my kids through college or, you know, go on great vacations with my family. Family is a purpose, which if we get creative, we can look at that. Not that we have to pry into people's family life, but we can right. understand where they're coming from and then look at some other ways to do that. So some of the other quick amplifiers is the manager themselves, how much people really want to please you as the manager. We sometimes underestimate that. And there's ways a manager can sort of reflect back to the person on how they're doing that which totally turns up the amplifier to, uh, to 11, pun intended, um, you know, so they can hear it. And then, and then there's even a larger ones, Laura and Kelly, where it's, it's about community, how we, we all have a, a purpose to serve our community or even benefit world society and, um, sure. and also be aligned to our spiritual uh, beliefs making sure that our work is aligned with the ethics and the feeling that, you know, I'm doing this for a bigger reason than, than even work or even my family. 
what is my my humongous purpose for being here? And all of us right. have different th- thoughts about that. But there's interesting ways without prying or forcing a, a, a belief onto somebody about acknowledging that for people. Mm-hmm. If I know that about you, what's really important to you, then I can sort of, I can't give you meaning, but I can show you how the work you're doing is aligned to those beliefs. And then you right. go, ah, somebody else sees it. I see it for myself. Mm-hmm. And that turns up the amplifier in ways that we have that greater sense of fulfillment at work. And mm-hmm. um, so it's just a real creative opportunity to, to take a step back and truly be a purpose-driven leader by just like all those other things we were talking about with Myers-Briggs, being more self-aware that these opportunities mm-hmm. exist and then choosing to act upon them in unique ways that really make an incredible experience for people. Right. And the choosing to act upon them, I mean, that's key, right? We all kind of know at, or we have a, a spidey sense mm-hmm. around the idea of, oh, I could probably make this better as a leader, but it's the choosing to act. And I think we're very fortunate we're living in a time when we have great people like you, Steve Van Balen, who's mm-hmm. out there, you know, able to help people think through this process. They're not alone. Um, so I think that the work that you're doing is really very helpful. And in the context in which you've described it, it kind of reminds me a while back, I don't know if they're still doing this in education, but um, there was this kind of whole child concept where you're teaching to the whole child. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what I was thinking. This is like, mm-hmm. you know, managing the whole employee. Yeah. Yep. And mm-hmm. um, and to me, it's just a, a more expanded way of thinking about who's coming into your business every day, a person who's essential to your success. And then how do you link your company's bigger picture, the purpose, to the bigger person, the total person that they are? Would that yeah. sound about right to you? <laughs> Am I yeah, paraphrasing no, I, I, correctly? <laughs> I like the uh, the way you describe that as a holistic approach to to this, the whole person. And mm-hmm. you know, we we it's not about the paycheck so much. Those are the extrinsic motivator. Yes, that benefits my family. But if I have to, if I understand the context of the intrinsic value that paycheck actually gives me, <laughs> it opens up all kinds of ways of, of looking at it differently. And uh, we are driven by purpose in our life and our work. And if we understand that about people and can tap into it, you'll create a unique experience for them and a sense where they feel like they are getting the most out of it. And uh, the return on that is, is absolutely amazing. So uh, yeah, just, and by the way, we're heading in this direction as a, as a trending, you know, huge trend with millennials and Gen Z Oh, absolutely. Uh, coming out of school, <laughs> yeah, being more purpose oriented, and at the same time, they're they're young and purpose oriented. The the boomers and the Xers, as they've have we've aged, um, have have steered that way too. So we got all four generations uh, headed in this direction. So uh, we better get ahead of the curve now. Amazing! I am so glad you shared that with us because. I'm not sure people think of it in that context. Lots of times they think of purpose as being a millennial-driven thing, and yes, it is, but it's also and. other things. Right, mm-hmm. and and um, and thank you for the shout-out to Gen X, because I often feel we get left off of the whole <laughs> multi-generational yeah. conversation anyway, but 
you know, as someone who was never part of, although I lived in this time, I wasn't part of the greed is good belief. Um, It's nice to know that there are those of us who, who don't believe that way. And I would even say there is more than a fair share of those who live that way and see now, no, there is much more to life and uh, to life at work and to finding meaning in our work. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, yeah, Gen Xers who um, sort of stereotypically are are a little bit pessimistic about the work experience, that it's a wonderful opportunity actually to give them the thing that they've craved all along underneath the surface, which is that mm. idea of purpose and meaning. And yeah. So the juxtaposition between maybe what they thought and what they could experience is actually greater then somebody like a millennial comes out with great idealism and, oh, yeah, this is the way it always was or is. And, right. Uh, so I just think it's a really neat opportunity. And, and Gen X is right there, uh, ready ready for this. Yeah, I love that. Steve, thank, thank you, you for the me. thank you for the work that you're doing and, and all of the great information that you're putting out there. What is it that you would love for our listeners to be on the lookout for? Where can they find you? What are you excited about in uh, the rest of this year? Yeah, no, I'd love for them, uh, if, if they're interested in getting a pre-read to, to my book, which uh, the manuscript is done and we're uh, doing final, final hunt for the, uh, the right publisher. If they sure. want to get on the pre-read for that and I can, uh, uh, and they can sign up for um, free blogs that I'm doing around the book, uh, if they go to my website, which is culturologyusa.com, and just sign up as a culture catalyst, and they'll get the, uh, the the pre-read information. Love to have feedback on it too. Everyone's experiencing this a little bit differently, so the feedback is is you know I love it. You know, just really welcome that. And certainly they can connect with me on LinkedIn at Steve Van Valen, and that's V A N V A L I N. So awesome. love to connect with people. Awesome. We will link to your LinkedIn as well as your website so people can uh, get that pre-read. What an amazing thing to offer people, Steve. Thank you so much. And uh, thank you for joining us today. This has been great. Such amazing My information. Pleasure. And, thank yeah, you for, for all that you're to do. doing too to just, just you know, share the, the thought leadership on uh, these subjects. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. We're all in it together. <laughs> Thanks so much, Steve. <laughs> all right. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode, and we would love to hear from you. Send your comments, your questions, suggested topics to podcast at doinggoodbusiness.com. If you'd like, visit our website of the same name, doinggoodbusiness.com. Remember, you can always rate and review us wherever it is that you listen to your podcast. Feel free to share it. Until next time, we encourage you to take one small step toward doing good business.